0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: Before we get started with this week's edition of Bench with Bubba, let me talk to you about Draft. Draft Draft.com is one of the coolest new ways to play fantasy sports. You, You... Get to draft against you know three, five, ten man competitions. There's new drafts starting every five minutes. Your chances of winning on Draft are over 80% better than on salary cap sites. That's why you need to try Draft. No more getting crushed by the pros. More than one million people have already downloaded Draft. You can play in real life NBA, NFL. They have NHL, PGA is a great one. They have MLB. They have them all. It keeps getting better, better and better. Drafts usually finish in under five minutes. You get paid the next day the event finishes. But they're fi- and they're filling fast. Every second drafts are filling. They have them up until your games begin. All new players get a free entry into a real money draft when you make your first deposit and you have to use the promo code SD Sports. All one word, SD Sports. That's right. Play in a real money draft for free by using the promo code SD Sports. But it gets even better. Draft is so sure you'll love it that they're even offering a money back guarantee up to $100. Just search Draft in your App Store or go to draft.com and come play for free right now with promo code SD Sports. Void or prohibited must be 18 or older. See website for details. Offer must be redeemed within 14 days. Now to this week's edition of Benched with Bubba. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 63. Tonight we're talking some fantasy baseball. In order to do so, we're bringing a guest from Baseball HQ. You can find him on Twitter at Ryan B H Q. Ryan Bloomfield. Ryan, how are we doing?
2: I'm doing excellent, Bubba. Thanks for having me on, man. First, uh, first pod for me this year, so we're we're getting full into baseball talk. It's great. Yeah, I've been kind of
1: holding back on getting full into it, and. Decided to to talk to you about it, and then the next couple months, it's going to be full go, like I know you'll be doing as well. So it's going to be a lot of fun to uh, get the juices flowing. For sure. Um, Around the industry, people are talking about this Rotowire Dynasty uh, Invitational. It's a big, I believe, 20-team deal. Uh, You are one of the lucky 20 in this draft. Um, We'll kind of dig into your theories and some other aspects of it, but first, let's just start with the basics. Uh, what's your experience with dynasty drafts? Like, is it a preference of yours, or is this kind of new to you?
2: Um, actually, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. This is my first true dynasty. Uh, where so the basic setup of this, the RDI draft, is uh, it's it's forty man rosters, twenty teams, like you just said, Bubba, uh, and you keep thirty five guys and keep them forever. So no contracts, no anything uh, like that. So. I have played in a lot of keeper leagues with contracts and auctions and that sort of thing, but uh, never full on dynasty like this. So it's, uh, it's been an eye-opening experience for me. I'm I'm very lucky to be in the league. There's a, you know, there's a a great host of guys that that are in the league and all, and and gals as well. Prospect guys, beat writers, um, high stakes NFBC players. So a lot of different strategies from a lot of different backgrounds. It's, it's been pretty fun and we're still drafting. This thing started, uh, like the day after Christmas. And uh, I just made my pick uh, in like the 35th round, 700th pick or something like that. Well,
1: maybe by the time well, maybe you by the time time get your report, get you'll,
2: report be. you'll be pretty close. I know, man. We're, we're getting there. We, we, we There's 800 picks total, so almost. Good, good. Um, question for you. I heard you had to
1: kind of offer up how many keepers you're going to keep or not keep um, to get your pick. And you're the seventh pick in this draft. So what did you kind of yeah. auction off for your your pick?
2: Yeah. So this is this is a pretty cool. It's called the invisible hand. It was actually invented, I guess, or created by Brett Sayer, who's now over at VP, but started uh, a dynasty league over at uh, the Dynasty Guru. But basically, this invisible hand is. So oh, it's a straight snake draft. Um, but but James Anderson at Rotowire, right. who's, who actually set the league up. Um, you know, I didn't think it was fair just to have a you know a random one through twenty draw for the draft. So what we did is we actually bid keeper spots on which uh, slots you wanted to take. So for example, um, Eddie Almaguer writes for FakeTeams.com took the first pick and, and got Mike Trout. He's giving up, I believe, uh, somewhere around 15 keeper slots for next season um, in order to get that first pick. So while everyone else is keeping 35 guys. Um, Eddie's keeping 20 for next season so it was a lot of strategy um, in terms of just picking your first slot that was that was really cool Um, and yeah I ended up with the seventh pick I gave up three slots for it I identified in Dynasty like a top eight guys that I really wanted to lock into Um, and so my strategy was to just kind of go eight back up through one and, and take the cheapest amount of picks that I could get ended up with seventh overall. Yeah, and um, getting Nolan Arenado at seven does not stink by any means.
1: Absolutely so, not.
2: <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, pretty solid go of it there. Um, so that was part of your strategy coming into this. What was before, like, with trying not to think about the thirty-five picks you've made so far mm-hmm. going into the draft? What was your game plan?
2: yeah so i I, i'll fully admit i'm not a huge prospect guy i know you know the the top 100 and that sort of thing but once you kind of get deep into to prospects that's not really my bread and butter i have played um, traditional fantasy for for a long time so i'm much more familiar with the majors my my general strategy was not to full-on play this like a redraft league i basically wanted to do that but knock off you know two or three years of experience so I really tried to target guys in their 20s, wanted basically an all 20 something team, um, guys that have an MLB track record, guys that have performed at the major league level before, uh, but also have, you know, four to five years of production remaining. So I set out to target a lot of guys from like 26 to 29 years old. Those are the guys I'm more familiar with, and I think in general, um, you know, again, just not being as familiar with prospects and not a huge prospect guy. I I wanted to have a contention window the next few years coming up where I could be flexible, depending on if I'm I'm in it or not uh, for that current season. And and you
1: did just that. If people go through your roster, you have a lot of you know those mid twenties, upper twenty players or regularly fantasy impactful players, you, you know, Jack Flaherty could be considered your first prospect or mm-hmm. even not till around 23, 24, before you really got into the prospect game. Then you load up on a bunch of, you know, really talented ones there. You got Mauricio Dubon, Lucas Ursa, Cal Contral, a lot of guys to, to, to kind of round out everything else you already have going. Um, through through 35 rounds are, do you feel you've stuck pretty
2: solid to your plan you're, you're good with it or do you wish you did a few things differently? I'm, I'm good with it. I mean, you always think back and, and, and wonder, you know, the other picks, of course, but, uh, but yeah, I stuck to that plan. So I, my, my like you said, I took Arenado first, uh, and then I took JD Martinez in the second round. He was my only 30 year old. Um, and I, like you just said, my first real true prospect um, was in the 23rd round. So I basically took all major league guys in their late twenties and, um, from rounds one through 22 so that was my plan i stuck to it as well as i could I, I didn't really didn't have to reach for a lot of guys to to get there i thought that was kind of a, a sweet spot and, and maybe we'll talk about some of the other strategies that i saw because there there are a wide um you know there's a wide range of things that other other people have done but uh but targeting those guys in the in the in the mid-20s um, was viable because people took prospects early. People took, you know, Nelson Cruz early, uh, for example. So it, it worked out pretty well for me. I think I've got a decent core of hitters um, and, and some pitching uh, to, to get me that four-year contention window. So I'm happy with it. Yeah, I'd be very happy with it because, it, like you said, it's, the, it's, the, it's young enough that
1: you'll be able to compete for quite a while and then you can make some trades. Like, you you can work with this roster. Um mm-hmm. Some of the other strategies I've heard talk about and everything, and one that stood out to me out the gate is you have a team like Tom Trudeau and Greg Wellmeyer who drafted 13th overall. Talk to the draft. Akuna, yeah, Acuna round one, Vlad Guerrero round two, Eloy Jimenez, Fernando Tatis Jr., Nick Senzel, Kyle Tucker, Willie Calhoun, Kester Her, so on and so forth. They technically don't have – where are we at here? They don't have a starter, I guess, until – Danby Swanson at 14 and yep. that's a that's a stretch uh, so like literally even Kyle Lewis at 18 it keeps going and going and going man um I know they said they're kind of just punting the season and they definitely did that but even some of these guys they're not ready to play even next year so what's what's your theory on this whole thing I know no one wants to talk bad about people but because it, it could work out great in like four or five years
2: but going into this this is it's it's absolutely gutsy, and they're not you know they're not punting 2018, but they're like, like you said also they're also punting 2019. You could argue even maybe 2020, um, and that was their strategy. It's something I would never do uh, myself, but different strokes for different folks. Uh, Tom and Greg they're they're also in this um, TDGX Dynasty Guru Dynasty League, and they did this uh, same thing in that league, which started in 2014, and they. It, they tanked for basically two to three years, and now have basically a super squad of Trout, Harper, and pretty much, pretty much uh, half the first round of, of this this year's ADP. So that was their strategy going in. They're loading up. Um, They're going to get the first. They're going to finish in last in 2018. They're going to get the first pick uh, in the amateur draft for next season. So it's something that, you know, raised a lot of eyebrows, especially Acuna going 13th overall. Everyone was kind of wondering, you know, where is he going to go? Is he going to go in the first round top 20 or not? It actually came out with that invisible hand drafting. They would have taken Acuna at number five. Oh, wow. Overall, yeah. There was some analysis out there. Everyone wrote up their their first round, and they would have taken Acuna fifth overall. So, you know, I can't knock it. Um, If you want to play for 2020, these are the guys you're going to stock up with. I mean, their hitting is stacked, and they can always trade for pitching, and they're going to get probably a handful of other top prospects for a 2020 run. So, um, you know, not something I would do. I don't even know if we'll be around in 2020, but... uh, but, uh, but yeah, it, it was, it's fun to do. And I, honestly, I appreciate the different strategies like that. Like, uh, it's, it's, it's cool to see how all these teams are going to turn out. That's the beauty of dynasty leagues. First year mm-hmm. dynasty drafts is there, there's so
1: many ways to go about it. If they're not worried about losing for a few years and, you know, there wasn't a, a high dollar entry fee for it. So it helps with that aspect of you. Not just throwing yeah. money away for a couple years, but, um, They are actually stacked. If people that know anything about prospects, this team is the who's who. Like, this is a futures game club they have building. It's ridiculous what they have going on there. Um, Talking about some other teams, what were some other strategies or teams that kind of stood out to you so far, like you said, 335 rounds?
2: Yeah, there were definitely there's definitely a few win now teams um, in the in the in the pool. So um, I mentioned Eddie Almaguer gave up you know 15 keepers to get Mike Trout. Obviously, he's going to go for it um, in 2018 because he's only keeping 20 guys. 2019 is almost a wash for him. And there, there definitely was a discount on older, um, older players. So. Couple interesting things that everyone talks about. You know, the, the top four starting pitchers. I was curious where, where pitching was going to go, entering uh, entering a dynasty. Kershaw went first, um, but then Chris Sale, Kluber, and Scherzer all went in the second round. So right around thirty-ish uh, for those guys. Those are plays where, uh, and Max Scherzer actually went last of the four to Derek Van Riper to DVR at RotoWire. Um, those are win-now moves, right? Especially pitching in the mid-30s, you got to think no matter how good they are right now, you've maybe got two years of, of, of their current level going forward if you're lucky. So um, once you kind of make that pick early on, you're kind of setting that strategy. And um, again, if it doesn't work out, Dynasty is going to be a very active training, trading league. If it doesn't work out, you can always flip, uh, you know, some of those older guys for prospects. So I think that's what a lot, especially if you're looking at drafts and things like that that on, uh, on Twitter in and early, in early drafts, you know, trading's always, unless it's NFBC or something like that, you know, these rosters aren't set in stone. So it's easy to kind of flip some of these guys later on if, if it doesn't work out. And that's a good point with the pitchers
1: thing because uh, unless you're taking young guys like Severino went in the third round, which, you know, in a dynasty draft, you might want to rank him a little higher than some of these guys. You, you got Garrett Cole in the sixth, and I love the Luis Castillo pick in the seventh, mm-hmm. Sonny Gray in the ninth. That's a nice one, two, three you got later by building your offense ahead of time. Um, to, like That's the beauty of any draft, especially a dynasty draft. The strategy behind it, you mentioned with Eddie Almaguer's team, um, he's only keeping, I think he said, 20 guys, but... If you go through his roster, there are a bunch of guys you have no problem just not keeping. They're they're there to help you now, but you have no problem. So that's how he's building his team. It makes a lot of sense. It's fun to look at. I'm going to have to keep looking at this as it goes. It's really interesting.
2: Yeah, another just looking at the roster, another really interesting strategy that that I like, uh, especially with a 20-team league, is just going all ceiling. And, and, and Matt Modica is a, a good friend of mine, met him out in Arizona a couple times and active on, on, on Twitter, at CTM baseball. He basically went all ceiling, took Bryce Harper, Noah Syndergaard, Otani, AJ Pollock, Baez with his top five picks uh, low floors with some of those guys, injury risks with, with Syndergaard, but if those guys hit, man, he is not only in the running for this season, but uh, set himself up well for the next couple of years. And you go through the rest of his roster. he's got a lot of that. And, uh, the-
1: Yes, Mr. Modica is one of the smarter individuals. I've I talked; he comes on my pod once in a while, and I, I mention him a lot of times when it comes to things because he's always on Twitter's throwing gems out to people. And uh, <laughs> absolutely, you know, check him out; great stuff. And I, I, I like that team. It's a good point, ceiling ceiling approach there. Um, were there any players that you got snipe on? That's always one of the things in drafts that are exciting slash disappointing. Um, and, and at the twenty team league, it's tough. Dynasty, it's tough. But were there any?
2: ones that really got you like I was just about to pick that guy. Yes, um, I, I glad you asked because it still kills me. Seven hundred picks later, I was gonna, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna hold a grudge because the guy who sniped me actually writes for HQ as well. But Chris Blessing took uh, Aaron Nola in the fourth round.
1: Oh, I love Nola this year. Oh,
2: yes, yeah, and going forward, I mean yeah, the kid is. is the kid is. Kid is a stud, and he was probably I'm I'm just looking at it now, maybe the 15th ish pitcher off the board. Um, took me took took Nola two picks ahead of me in the fourth round, so we're we're looking around 70, 75 overall. And uh, then I was going to take Jose Abreu because I wanted a first baseman. Derek Van Riper, I got double sniped. Derek Van Riper oh, took Jose Abreu. Um, which I love his floor, even though in dynasties 31, but I, th- I still think abreu has got another, you know, three four years of, of, production. So I panicked and took Eric Hosmer, which a lot of people don't like Hosmer, and how he tomahawks the ball on the ground every time he hits the ball. But uh, um, that was that was a bust for me. I really wanted Nola or Abreu, and both of them won. The two picks ahead of me. So you <laughs> don't forget stuff like that. <laughs> no, that was going to sit for because Nola, yeah, I, I like
1: Abreu a lot. I actually spoke about him recently. And I think yeah, he's very he, underappreciated yeah. by a lot of people in industry and non-industry. Stuff. They don't appreciate the consistency that he brings you. Um, but, yeah, Aaron Nola, that kid's special. Um, that's going to – we'll have to see how that turns out, like, long-term kind of keep a, a standing watch on those picks going forward.
2: I'm pretty yeah, sure and, and what Nola did in the second half was just sure. – amazing so and you know there's some injury concern with him but the way he finished out that, that tempers it a little bit for me he finished out
1: great and when it comes to any player especially any pitcher is always injury concern so you can't really absolutely worry too much about that I'd imagine yep um last question on the RDI here um you got what five picks to go between the five picks and kind of you know trading and as the season goes on what's your future plans
2: with this team you kind of you want to stick strong with it, or you, you already see some things you want to change? Um, no, I, I don't see a lot that I'm going to change, at least initially. Basically, what I'm trying to do and fill out the last five rounds here is just fill out my farm system. We have to have 10 um, players on farm, so you can't just have you know 40 major leaguers. So I'm going to fill that out, and then my last two picks are just going to be basically extensions of Fab. So I'm just going to take two major league ready guys and, and switch them out if I need to, once the season starts. So um, we are, like I said, we're, we're pretty deep into it. I just took uh, Domingo Acevedo who we, we at HQ have uh Yankees number four pitching prospect at 714 overall. So uh, just going to kind of pick up the scrap heap and, and start prepping for, for redraft leagues after this. So Yeah,
1: I absolutely love it. The dynasty is slowly learn to really, really love them dig into prospects more and more each year. I'm nowhere near as talented as James Anderson and those kind of guys, but I absolutely love it. And uh, I have a feeling this draft you're in now is going to really get you to dig into prospects a ton more. Absolutely. Yeah, it already is. It's a blast. Yeah, it's, it's a blast. Um, let's talk about some recent news and the kind of the fancy impacts because, you know, we had a very, very cold stove. It's been thrown around a lot, but uh, the last week or so, He kind of got it heating up a little bit, and we'll kick it off with Andrew McCutcheon coming to the Bay Area. Um, Leaving Pittsburgh, you know, he's not the MVP 2013 Andrew McCutcheon, but he's still very, very good. You know, 270, 280 hitter, still gives you a decent pop. He had 28 last year. The park shift isn't dramatic going to San Francisco. He still should get you 20-plus, maybe 25-ish. Not running anymore, but what do you think the fantasy impact McCutcheon brings to the fantasy player this year?
2: Yeah, I, I, I've, I've read some early kind of hot takes on, on McCutcheon to the Bay. I, I don't think the fantasy impact for McCutcheon, honestly, is, is all that much. PNC gets a bad rap as a um, as a as a bad hitters park, and, and it is, but it's a lot worse for left-handed hitters than it is for righties, um, especially in power. So the park factors, our HQ's park factors actually are, are pretty much a wash going from Pittsburgh to San Francisco for McCutcheon. So if, if people are scared of just that park um, and, that, and that takes McCutcheon's value down a little bit, I, I would pounce on it. I, I fully believe in, in McCutcheon's 2017 rebound. Uh, the contact skills are strong. The power's been there. just had a Had a bad year injuries in 2016, and that that took him down. So I'm fully expecting pretty much a repeat. We're we're projecting uh, 280 batting average and and 25 homers at HQ for McCutcheon with with double-digit bags. So we still got a little bit of running game um, with him. We'll see if that carries over to the Bay. But uh, I'm not downgrading McCutcheon really at all. And actually, I'm a fan of his consistency. I still think he's got a couple more years left at this level. Yeah, I completely agree. It's not just
1: my Giants bias out there. I, I'm a big fan of the move. It pre- like you said, it's basically a wash, um, the ballparks. And I, I laugh at all the people saying, you know, AT&T Park this and that. And I get it. It's it's tough. But it, it's not as bad as people make it out to be when you're actually a good hitter like McCutcheon. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like it a lot. Now, there's rumors he might lead off instead of hitting the middle of the order. Would that change? Your opinion. I think it almost improves it for me, but does it sway you any direction? I,
2: I had not heard that. I, I it doesn't really sway me. Obviously, where you're at in the lineup can def, you know, affect your runs in RBI. But I think if he's leading off, maybe he'll steal a few more bags. So um, that could that could help out even more. And, and also, I think it's great for the Giants lineup. Longoria is you know not the Longoria of old, but bringing him over at third base is a huge uh, is a huge lift from whatever they had. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> aggregate last season. Uh, so I think that helps guys like Posey and Brandon belt and that sort of thing. So, um, so yeah. yeah. Definitely another
1: trade. The pirates made Uh Garrett Cole going to the Astros. They sent some, okay. Prospects over. Nothing we're going to dig into right now, but um, what do you think the Garrett Cole impact is, is now he's not the ace of a staff. He can kind of relax a little, learn from the third or the fourth, even if McCullers, I'm 99% sure he's going to be the third. But you never know what they want to do there. What do you think his impact's going to be this year going to Houston?
2: Yeah, I love that move for Cole, and, and I took Cole as my as my ace in the in the in the dynasty league in RDI uh, before, obviously before the trade, and and I was thrilled to see that happen. I was a little bit nervous that Cole would go to uh, to Yankee Stadium, and, and, and he didn't. Um, from a from a team perspective, I, I like the move. Houston's got uh, a lot better bullpen. You're going to get a lot more run support, I think, as well compared to Pittsburgh. I don't think going from the National League over to the American League is is that much of a difference. Todd Zola um, did some research on that, sent out a few things and wrote up an article on that. The, the actual difference in ERA between AL and NL starters last year was um, was almost negligible. So I really like that move for Cole. Also, Houston just as a, as a philosophy standpoint, they, they're really good at developing pitchers with good breaking balls, good secondary pitchers. And, and Cole has a uh, very good curveball, very good slider slider had a 17% swing strike rate last year. And I think he's going to throw that more here with Houston um, and rely a little bit less on the fastball. So, so look for that early pitch mix. I think with, with Cole, if he's throwing more secondaries early in the season, which I think he will i think that's going to be a, a, a boon to his value as well so um love that move for cole and and, and i think it should pump up his uh a little bit he, he did have you know those elbow injuries in 2016 but also has reached 200 innings in two of the last three seasons and in today's environment that's that's pretty damn tough for a, for a starter to do so um good move all around yeah he's, he's a workhorse and um they
1: get to learn from a guy like Verlander on how to be a workhorse even more, I guess. But the one thing I also wanted to mention is you, you're talking about uh, the AL, NL, ERA thing. There's also a bad rap saying people, oh, he's going from PNC to Houston. And I can't remember if it was Spore or one of those, Eno or somebody. Um, yes, Houston gives up more home runs, which obviously makes sense with the Crawford box. But when it comes to ERA and like run prevention, it's better than PNC part.
2: Which yeah, is, and and strikeouts yeah. as well actually you wouldn't think so but uh, with strikeouts with batter's eye and, and foul ball space uh, strikeouts are actually improved in Houston as well over PNC so yeah so
1: there's a lot to like about that that should hopefully not scare people off like uh, the initial reactions whereas you know the, the initial reactions are always correct
2: <laughs> absolutely and right now cole's going adp wise again this is all pre-trade but near like Jake carrietta alex wood keichel i would take uh i would take cole over those guys
1: in a heartbeat and i i prefer him being the number three instead of the ace like literally mm-hmm. the pressure that'll be off his shoulders he can just go deal like it's so much better uh, i love and, it absolutely um, the twins earlier this offseason and people said okay not a bad move for the twins it's fernando but it's a closer it'll work then they went and picked up one of my favorite free agent relievers on the market and addison reed i thought this guy could have closed for a lot of teams this league still might end up closing for the twins eventually they're saying rodney's the closer how do you approach addison reed
2: for this fantasy season I, I i am approaching him with uh with open arms <laughs> I, I don't trust fernando rodney to uh to stick around as the closer all season um he has you know he he surprised me. Last year in in Arizona, sticking out as as long as he did, Uh, but you gotta go with the skills over the rules, even in even in the bullpen this early. So, um, yes, really like that move for Reed, who has a whip under one over the last two seasons combined, um, and the skills to do it. His swinging strike rate's gone up. That's one of the favorite metrics I look at: just miss bats and and get strikeouts. Swinging strike rate's gone up from nine to twelve to fourteen percent last year. Throws plenty of strikes. Uh, strikeout to walk ratio over five um, so much to like with Reed. I think it's a great move for him and his, his price is going to be pretty low cause he's not quote unquote the guy uh, yet in Minnesota. But uh, I think at some point that changes. So um, love the move. Don't really like the contract as much. I think Minnesota is trying to do a, a Colorado impression there with, uh, with the money, but, but we don't care about that in fantasy. So um Good move for Reed from a fantasy perspective.
1: Uh, in a, uh, a saves-hold league, which are becoming more and more popular these days, yeah. where would, he, he definitely has to be on the radar. He'd be on my radar. But where, where would you just want to take him as you know
2: a relief option? Would he be like one of your top non-closers, or what would you look at? He'd definitely be one of my top non-closers. Um, I'd probably take him top 25 relievers. Um, even if he doesn't have the role, if you're combining saves and holds. Um, I think just in general, you want to get guys that aren't going to kill you in the ratios either, and, and he's going to help a lot with that. So.
1: Yeah, I, I like what's going to be happening with him. Even the part-time role last year got you almost 20 saves with the Mets. So, he mm-hmm.
2: like you said,
1: most people agree with Fernando is going to scuffle somewhere along the way.
2: So, it will happen. No, no bow and arrow all season for, for, for Fernando, that's for sure. Yes. You have to put the quiver away.
1: <laughs> wow. Let's talk about the, the New York Mets as you know Reed leaves the Mets, but they bring back an old friend in Jay Bruce, who the Giants were talking to. Personally, glad they didn't give a three year deal to him. His three years, thirty nine million It's a good deal for the Mets. Makes their outfield pretty interesting, and especially once Conforto comes back. But you know they're talking about he could play first, and they go and sign Adrian Gonzalez. That's a whole other disastrous situation. But um, when it comes to Jay Bruce, you know he's in his his thirties. Still should be quite productive for his contract. You'd imagine, just going to eighteen, um, he always goes overlooked. Goes way, way, way late. Thinking on Jay
2: Bruce. I have owned Jay Bruce the last couple seasons in, in a lot of my leagues. I'm always the guy who uh, <laughs> who who takes him. Um, really like what he did with the Mets. Actually, I'm, I'm kind of glad he went back to uh, to Queens. He did a lot of work with the Mets analytics staff. Um, early last season and the off season heading into 2017. Actually looking, taking a, a data-driven look at his swing and, and things that he can do. And that resulted in, for him, he, he, he switched up his stance a little bit, uh, tried, tried to tried to get more loft like a lot of guys, tried to do the, the Yonder Alonzo, but, but tried to get more loft, but also pull the ball when he gets loft. He, he noticed that he was hitting a lot of fly balls in center field in his, in his first season. Um, when At the end of the year when he went to New York and didn't do too well, um, tried to pull the ball a little bit more with more loft, and then that really helped him. Uh, 47% fly ball rate for Bruce last season, um, hit plenty of, of hard hit line drives, hard hit fly balls. I think he's... Uh, He's got home run totals of 33 and 36. I think he goes right around there again. So I, I expect him to hit more than 30 home runs and hit around 250. So I'd expect more of the same. I I, I don't I don't see another level up, but I also don't really see a level down from Bruce last couple of years. So he's going to earn you I think mid teens, mid to high teens, in, in fantasy value, and that's just fine. His ADP is at 170. Um, there are other guys with higher ceilings that late, but also super low floors. So I'm taking Bruce um, happily that late in drafts. Yeah, I was going to mention, you know, you're going to knock on wood with a healthy year and get consistently
1: 30-plus homers from him. Um, mm-hmm. You said it. He's going 171 right now in the NFC as the 164-ranked player. He's around guys like Adam Duvall and Steven Souza Jr. and Abby Garcia and so on and so forth. If you go up the list, there's guys like Ian Desmond, personally, I might rather have Jay Bruce. Um, that's a debate I'd have to look more into. But, you know, Michael Conforto, who's out to at least May, if not June, he's going well ahead, well ahead of him, so on and so forth. There's a long list of it. But uh, it just goes to show you how late you can get him at 170 in a 12-team league. You're talking, you know, around, what, 14 or something like that? Yeah. That's a tremendous value to go get 30 home runs. So.
2: And you know what you're getting. You're plug, your plug and play. He's 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 had over 500 at bats so each of the last three seasons. Like I, yeah, he's he's safe. He's good. Yeah, he's definitely one of those safe picks you can get late that helps
1: you when you gamble earlier on. It gives you definitely like that. Um, last little transaction we'll talk about Curtis Granderson may not seem like much, but on a, a, a Jays team that's not overwhelming, he might be there. Lead off hitter or at least, you know, middle of the lineup guy in a ballpark where the ball flies out of um, and you're going to get him extremely late. So what are your thoughts on Granderson fantasy value wise? I know it can be scary, especially batting average wise, but you get 20 plus homers super late in the draft.
2: Yeah, I think he can. Uh, I'm not super high on him. But again, he's not going to cost you anything. Uh, You know, he's really powered up late, late in his career, but he's kind of sold out for it with the contact. So I don't see much of a he's kind of a batting average sinkhole. And there's a lot of he's got a lot of competition uh, up north. So the, so the Blue Jays have Kevin Pillar at, at center field, but then there's, you know, guys like Steve Pierce, Ezekiel Carrera, Teoscar Hernandez, and and Granderson all fighting for those corner um corner outfield slots. So I don't know if he's going to get the, uh, the at bats to, to get to, you know, 30 home runs, which given his batting average is kind of where he needs to be to have value in, you know, mid-sized leagues. Uh, but again, not going to cost you anything. And you know, you're going to get some power. So a lot of it depends on roster construction. If you've loaded up on speed or if you've built a, a batting average cushion, um, early on in the draft, and you need some late power. Um, it's fine to go with Granderson. Just uh, just just keep tabs on how often he's going to play out there. It's definitely a crowded outfield. Definitely crowded. And you mentioned a name. I know I didn't, we didn't really
1: talk about it ahead of time, but uh, to Oscar Hernandez. I, I was a big fan of that trade for them acquiring him from Houston. I watched him in Fresno a couple of times. He's, he, he seems kind of raw. I don't know if raw is the right word, but kind of wild, and you know, a lot of a lot of training can still be done to kind of fine tune his tools. But to me, he has a lot of good tools. Um, what's your feelings on, on Hernandez? Because I've seen a lot of mixed reviews throughout the industry on, you know, he's going to be really, really good or he's just a waste of time.
2: Yeah, no, I, I actually really love the tools. But I, I think it's more of a long term play. Um he had a, a you know limited exposure last year in the majors, eighty eight at bats, but had a had a fifty-nine percent contact rate, which is which is straight awful. Um he hit two sixty-one. But if you've got a contact rate down below sixty percent, there's gonna be problems. So um love what he brings to the table. I just think there's a lot of risk uh for, for twenty eighteen. Um but uh but but yeah, there's a lot of upside there as well, uh, the next couple of years.
1: We take this brief break from Bench with Bubba to talk to you about RotoWare. It's one of the best quality shirts in the industry. When I mean industry, all the clothing industry, the fantasy sports industry, because people are rocking it. They're loving it. You're seeing it in a lot of big outlets now. The, no other brand can compete with RotoWare in terms of quality. They're premium blend fabric, super soft, comfortable, athletic fit shirts. They specialize with a special, special printing process. The design is part of the shirt. Literally, it is, it is dyed and bleached into the fabric, no thick ink. If you use the promo code DGENS, D-E-G-E-N-S, you get 20% off your order. Again, promo code DGENS, D-E-G-E-N-S. Check their site out. Check them Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. They're always giving away free shirts. And then when you go to purchase the ones you want for you, your loved ones, your friends, your family, whatever, use promo code DGENS, D-E-G-E-N-S, for 20% off your order. Now back to this week's episode of Bench with Bubba. All right, let's do a little ADP debates. It's always fun because obviously they change going – throughout the next couple months, but currently going on some NFBC data, which we just finally got, which is nice to have a little more solid to go off of here. You have at first base. And to me, these guys, if you put their numbers next to each other and a lot of things, I'm good with either one, but I'm just curious on your thoughts. You have Freddie Freeman. It's going around the 22nd, 23rd pick overall and Anthony Rizzo is going about 25th, 26th. They're right next to each other. Good left-handed bats. Um, totally of ball players. What what would, where would you go uh, in these two guys?
2: I'd go, it's going to be a cop out, but I'd go either. I'd love both of them where they're at. I'd be happy with either one. Um, We're really picking, you know, nitpicking differences between these two guys. Uh, I'd be stoked to get these guys in, in the second round or or late second in a 12 team uh, draft that, that, that initial pool talent pool of hitters this season is just incredible so going off on a little aside but there's a top 20 hitter pool that is that is just amazing and freeman and rizzo are kind of bringing up the back half of that and and that's really exciting if you're if you're on the back end wheel of some of these early drafts but uh yeah, but
1: no, i'm with you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. If I had to, you know, kind of pick between these two, uh, I, I'd lean Freeman just because I think there's another level of of production for him to unlock. We saw glimpses of that in the first half. He was arguably the best hitter in fantasy um, starting out last season, and then he hurt his wrist and and his numbers kind of suffered a little bit in the second half. But the post wrist power metrics that we track over. Over at uh, Baseball HQ, we're, we're pretty much on par with the first half. So I'm not too concerned from an injury standpoint with Freeman. I think his batting average can can stick around 290 or even go above 300. And I think he's got the raw power, especially at SunTrust Park, which we found out is very nice uh, for left-handed hitters. Last year, I think he's got the, uh, the power to push 40 home runs and go above that. So I like the ceiling a little bit more for Freeman than Rizzo, and Freeman's also got a, a pretty darn good floor. But, uh, but, you know, Rizzo can't argue either. He's got four straight years of 30 home runs, four straight years of 25 bucks in value, can steal some bags. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to hate on either one. They're both fine picks, and, and I'd be, be, be stoked to get either one of them in, in a second round. Yeah, no, they're both great, great uh, options.
1: It just goes to show you, a is all like, right. it's always a, usually always a pretty deep position, but it's it's crazy deep this year. Um, and secondly, like you mentioned, I've seen it mentioned a lot, and I completely agree with it. When it comes to drafting this year, I either want Trout at number one, or I want like the back end of the first round because you're just going to load up on two studs. So yeah. Even if you're, even if you take Trout, you're getting one of these guys on the turn of the second round, which is crazy.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'd also, I haven't done an NFBC draft yet. I'm going to start that up, but I'd also probably loop Altuve into that. I'm probably going to do one, two, take Altuve or or Trout. And then basically, yeah, go to the back end and and work my way back from there because there's just so much talent uh, this season one through 20. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. It's very, very wild. Um,
1: Talking about something that's wild, Incredible. There's a lot of different words getting thrown around for him right now, and yes, he had a great end of last season. I play a lot of DFS, and this guy was a cheap value guy. I was on since he got called up, and he, he flourished. Um, we're talking Aussie Albies so the Braves. He's going about 155 overall, second base eligibility. Um, he's ranked 150th on theirs, and there's a ton of second basemen going ahead of him right now, but the helium on Aussie Albie's. It's pretty crazy right now. What are your feelings on Ozzy Albies?
2: Yeah, I, I, I think it's getting a little wild. <laughs> I think it's going a little overboard. I think I think people forgot what uh, what Jose Peraza did to them last season. Um, Good, call. Good call. Yeah, uh, Peraza was a – I think Peraza was like top 100 or right on the cusp with like a half season of major league at bats and, and was basically down in the minors and ended up. Okay. But once he was out in the minors and you're cutting him from your team and not reaping the late rewards, So um, yeah, in general, and this is just more of a philosophy thing for me. I love to draft floor early in the draft. If you don't have a full season or if you don't even have a half season of at bats, like Albies doesn't have um, you basically don't exist to me in the top 200 picks of a redraft league, I just think there's, you know, that shiny new toy syndrome that these guys are just getting pushed and pushed. And I think we'll continue to get pushed up um, through the next couple months to a point where there's just little room for profit, even if Albies does hit. Um, you know, I, I actually like some of the skills that that Albies sh- flashed last season. He, he drew some walks, 9% walk rate, made contact, has the elite speed. But I just think if you're paying around a 150 ADP for him, you're basically pricing yourself out of any profit that uh, that might be there. So um, I'm, I'm staying away from Albies. I, I'm staying away from a lot of these guys who are who are mid to early round picks with little to no major league experience. Yeah, I agree. I like Albies a lot. I like what he brings the table. I don't know if I can
1: take him where you're taking him. Like, um, let's do a couple just – these can be quit for all, if if you want, but um, I said Albie's at 155 at the second base position. There's Yohan Moncada at 133 and Ian Happ at 145. Would you prefer any of those guys over Albie's?
2: I'm not taking any of those guys either.
1: Okay. What about um, down below? Speaking of Jose Peraza, you can get Peraza at 202, and now mm-hmm. he's going to be the the guy.
2: Yep. Yeah, I'd almost rather take Peraza, uh, you know, at a 50-pick discount with, you know, he's gone through those growing pains that Albies is going to go through. Pitchers, Major League pitchers have adjusted to Peraza, um, and they will to Albies. So um, that's an interesting comp, comp, yeah, with Peraza going around 200. Even, like, old man Kinsler at 195, you know, he's yeah, 36. Up to me. Yeah, if, if Ian Kinsler is going 50 picks behind um Ozzie Albie's. I'm I'm taking that all day. Kinsler doesn't have the ceiling, but he's going to get you, uh, uh, you know, five category, you know, decent production uh, in a bounce back season out in Anaheim. So um, that that I think is a is a nice comp at a 50 round discount that I'm taking all day.
1: And here's the last comp I'll make. This is a guy I was on last year. I've been on pretty much every year since he's been the starter in Philadelphia. But you can see Cesar Hernandez at uh, 251 over 100 picks after Ozzy Alves. And Cesar Hernandez, I don't understand the – hate might not be the right word, but I don't know why he's going so far after – like Chris Owens had a good year, but why is he going after Owens and Jonathan VR, who's not even the everyday starter, and it's like so on and so forth. Cesar Hernandez has been very, very productive. So that's – some of the early numbers are interesting to look at,
2: I'll tell you that much. Cool. Yeah, and, and quietly so, not to get too far off, but Cesar Hernandez last – Two years, we've got him at seventeen dollars and nineteen dollars in earnings. He's hit two ninety four um, each of the last two years with over five hundred at bats of that production with double digit steals. Um uh, yep. And that's double a guy going two fifty. So <laughs> that's that's easy profit compared to someone like Albie's. I, I love how you threw that one out there. Yeah, I was doing my second base rankings earlier today, and I just that I came across that
1: one. I was like, what in the world is going on there? That just yeah.
2: Absolutely. Yeah,
1: not good. Um, let's talk an interesting comp because everyone's talking about Sprague. He had a very good second half after pretty much everybody wanted to send him to the minors in the first half of the season. But um, he gets shortstop eligibility in fantasy this year, which definitely boosts his stock. Uh, when it comes to the NFBC, he's going right around the same time as a former National League Rookie of the Year and Corey Seager, who to some had a down season last year. Um, I think he just had a really good season there before. But you get Bregman about 35, 36, and Corey Seager about 39th overall. Where would you be going with those two?
2: Um, I, I'd be going Bregman pretty easily, actually. Um, and that's not to slight Seager that much. Um, just a couple of things with with Bregman that I really like. Yes, the, the dual eligibility really helps. I, I love having guys. Uh, especially depending on your, your league size and dynamics and that sort of thing. Love having guys that you can move around. So not only shortstop and third, but also middle and corner infield eligibility for Bregman. That's, uh, that's nice to have once everyone goes on the 10-day DL in May. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, Bregman really loved what he did in the second half. So Bregman hit 320 with 11 homers, 11 steals in the second half. And that came with pretty much full skill support. Um, and some of the metrics we looked at uh, makes a made a lot more contact in the second half, harder hit balls in the second half as well. I really love the five category production from, from Bregman over Seeger who, uh, who won't get you the steals. And there's been a lot of talk and deservedly so on the scarcity of steals uh, in the game now and, and the abundance of power. So I think that you know Bregman being able to get, you know, 20 steals or, or uh, We've got him projected for 14, but I think he could go a little bit more than that. I, I, I think that's a, a huge advantage um, compared to Seeger. So I, I take Bregman pretty handily over Corey Seeger at, at that point. Man, yeah, I totally agree with you there. I've never been a big Corey Seeger guy. I think he's always
1: overvalued in fantasy circles. Um, for some reason, I know mean, you can't factor in injuries, but he's always getting hurt somehow, some way.
2: It, it does, yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, I like the power uh, average baseline with Seeger, but he in his in his two full seasons, twenty six bucks and twenty one bucks in value. That's great. I think you're just paying for a level that he hasn't reached yet, um, and that's generally not a good idea early in drafts. Completely agree. Um, speaking
1: of stolen bases, the next one kind of got my attention. We have Billy Hamilton going fifty first overall. And you have Byron Buxton, yeah, fifty third, two speed demons. Buxton, everyone's been wanting him to be great. He was really, really good last year, and he's definitely shot up the rankings. Um, you're getting these guys neck and neck. What are your thoughts on these two?
2: It's a, it's a, it's a fascinating debate. I, I think you know it's hard to just look at these two guys in a vacuum and, and pick one. I think I mean, there's a lot of factors here. So. Um, I think if you're in like an NFBC league or a no trading league uh, for, for, for listeners that are in kind of those high stakes formats, I generally don't like putting all my eggs in one basket just because you can't Trade out of it. You can't build up a stolen base cushion with Billy Hamilton and then deal him um, in the midseason. So, in, in a league where I can't trade, I'm probably going to go Buxton. Um, love the second half games. Uh, the elite speed obviously is there, so um, I'd go that. If, if there's a if it's a league I can trade in, I probably go Hamilton. I just think you can build up that that stolen base pad and then and then deal him out in May for, um, basically any type of category that you need. Um, Ray, Ray Murphy, who is our general manager at, over at HQ did that, uh, either last year or two years ago and it worked out great for him because honestly on, on, draft day, you really don't know how your team's going to shape out, where you're going to be strong and where you're going to be weak. Um, once you're in May or June and you've, and you've got Hamilton on the block, you can look at the standing, see where the gaps are and adjust accordingly. So, uh, I generally like that strategy, um, so that's that's kind of where I take it. Depends on, on your league there is, is kind of my cop-out.
1: Yeah, I like the idea that if it's a trade league, go ahead and get Billy. Get 30-plus steals from him so he kind of puts you above the rest. Yep. And then go, go deal for something you need because, you know, you're getting a guy that's going to get you 50-plus stolen bases most seasons. He's got three straight years at 57, 58, 59. Yep. That's not bad at all. And that's only playing 114, 119, and 139 games, not even playing full seasons. So he's going to get you the steals, whereas Buxton, you know, he's got the 20-homer capability to go with 30-something steals. So it's kind of like to each their own, but Buxton can definitely put you above the rest, which you already said earlier, which steals are kind of so cherished already. Big, big difference there.
2: Yeah. And, and the other thing, I, I didn't really mention this, but I, I'm probably not owning either one. Um you know, right around the 50th pick. I think, you know, I like to compare them to like a D Gordon, who is who is going in the top 30. So you're paying probably around round and a half premium on D Gordon, but D Gordon, you're getting not only the, the elite steals, but you're also getting two other elite categories. And that's batting average and run scored. Um, I just think with a guy like Hamilton, you're getting the steals, but you're just sucking in all other four categories and and at least with gordon you can you can build that that stolen base cushion but also uh not shoot yourself in the foot in the other you know 50 of the categories so very good point very very good point hamilton i'll get you quickly um
1: last little kind of rankings debate or whatnot uh shohei otani in general just in general because he is going in so many different drafts and so many different places you can look at ADPs all you want and they are valuable um NFBC where do they have him go? Um, have him going 73rd 74th which not horrible
2: yeah that's actually yeah lower than I later than I thought he would go
1: yeah that's why it took me a lot to find him. I expected it to be a little higher up the list there but um what are you looking at for Otani? I don't think I'll own him at all this year. But what are you looking at for Otani? I,
2: you know, that's the huge debate. No one really knows. I, I'm not going to own him again. I mean, that's just my general philosophy. I, I need to see track record at the major league level. I get the folks that are going to, you know, go with the ceiling play and, and take Otani in the top 75. Um, so much depends on your league and your league service you know you need to figure out is he is he twins is he two otanis is he one otani cbs just came out i believe with cbs a couple days ago and said that they're going to have one otani that you can basically slot in and fan tracks as well that you could basically slot in um, as a hitter or pitcher that obviously has a lot of value uh, i think that's the way you should be handled i know there's a lot of kind of programming uh concerns or, or, or complexities with that but uh, if you do have Otani as one guy um, I, you know I could see taking taking a flyer in, a, in the top 75 on him I'm not going to like I said I just think there's a lot of risk um, he's never seen major league hitters before um, you know back to back to back to back so um, in, in leagues where he's a hitter or pitcher only I think that only dampens his outlook even more um, you know you. Otani threw, what I think, 23 innings last season. His career-high innings pitch is 160. The Angels are going to be super cautious with his innings limits, so uh, I don't even have him in my top 20 for, for starting pitchers. Yeah, I, I don't see me touching him
1: with everything you just said there, and I've looked into it. He's, he's probably going to pitch once a week. He's never going to be a two-star-a-week guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to take a couple days off a week, so if, if they're going to try to keep him on the program – he used in Japan, which is the rumor, um, he'll basically pitch one day, he'll hit for three, and then he'll have his bullpen and a day off, and then he'll pitch again. So he's going to have two days off a week, basically. And that's going to really hurt the production.
2: Yeah, and, and, and he's – especially in his first year, I mean, they, the, the kid's 23 – He's going somewhere where he's never been before. He's learning not only, you know, the culture here, but also learning how to adapt to major league hitting and pitching. That's a lot for somebody who's uh, who's 23 years old. He's not just a robot coming over here and is going to do what he did in Japan. So, um, you know, there's a lot of factors there with Otani. Yeah, you know, long term, I, I do, I, you know, I love what he brings to the table. And we talked earlier, Matt Modica took him in the third round of, of, of our Dynasty League. Around just just in the top 60, I like that from a long-term standpoint. But, but yeah, redraft, I'm not spending a, a top 100 pick on an on, on unknown commodity, basically. Exactly. Now, this this time next year, maybe we have a completely
1: different conversation on that. <laughs> but let's see what he does. I've um, got one listener yeah. question. You might know this individual. His name is Roger Bloomfield. Um, Who? Yeah. <laughs> <he, laughs> He has Cole Hamels, Robbie Ray, and Rick Porcello in a keeper league um, all around the same price. I know how I'd rank him.
2: How would you rank him? Um, yeah, so so Roger's my dad. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why he's hitting up for, hitting me up for fantasy advice here on the show, but but I'll do it anyway. He's yeah. been nice to me throughout my life. So. Um, there you go. Yeah, we actually sort of decided that's how I got into fantasy baseball. We started a, a family league back in 1999. Um, with yeah, a couple older brothers and uncles and some of the kind of guys in the family. And we've kept that going up, up, up through now and still do it now. So good way to keep in touch. And that's a nice, uh, yeah, nice way to, to, to do it and talk some trash and hand out trophies over Christmas, which is kind of cool, but, uh, I like it. Yeah, um, so I think there's two levels here. So the question, right, Robbie Ray or um, Hamels or uh, Porcello, Robbie Ray's in the class of his own compared to those two. Um, you know, the the, the the ground balls, the swinging strikes that, that Robbie Ray brings to the table is uh, is is pretty nice at 26 years old. He's, he's just hitting his peak as well. Um, but you're going to have to spend a top 50 pick on him. And that's where I kind of want to pump the brakes. I was in on Ray a lot the last, the last two seasons. But now you're basically paying for a repeat of what he did last season with a, the with a ADP. It looks like around 43, 45. I think if you're spending that for Ray, you're basically pricing yourself out of any any profit there as well for one year of, of production. So um, while I take Ray over Porcello and Hamels by a good amount, I'm probably not owning Ray in a, in a lot of leagues this season.
1: Yeah, no, I, I'm 100% on board here. I, I like Ray a ton. I like what he's done. Um, it's just tough, though, because, you know, right around that time, there's Darvish and Chris Archer, um, Aaron Nola.
2: Aaron I Nola's got Yeah, like 30 picks
1: later, so. Yeah, it's tough. And, you know, you said Ray's 40, 43rd, 44th. Well, like 10 picks earlier, that's the similar guard, Verlander, Carrasco, DeGrom, Severino wave that goes through, which is just an insane – Stacking of pitching options there, so yeah, yeah it's going to be tough to get right there. Maybe he'll he'll fall as the uh, season goes
2: on, and then it becomes a little more attractive. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, and then actually the other two are pretty interesting, Porcello and Hamels. Yeah, they're actually I think that are right next to each other in in ADP, like around two forty ish.
1: Yeah, they're right around there.
2: Um, but yeah, Porcello's is at two forty one, and Hamels is. Yeah, right around 240 as well. Between those two, I I I'd go Porcello. I just love the the volume that he's going to get you compared to Hamels, who is quickly becoming a um, a risk. Who you know, Hamels only threw 148 innings last year. Velocity was down, swinging strikes were down, strikeouts were obviously down as well. So I think we're starting to see kind of a a steady decline from Hamels, who at one point was one of the just you know, money in the bank pitchers for, for a long time up in, up in Philadelphia. So um, I just I, – I like the volume that Porcello gets you. I think he's a little bit better than the 465 ERA he threw up last season. In today's environment, if if you can get a 200-inning starter and the volume that comes with it, um, especially outside of the 280P range for, for in Porcello's case, I think you jump on that. So um, I, I'd go Porcello over Hamels that late.
1: Yeah, that's a pretty good uh, value in Porcello. Hamels, I just, I, I, feel like you do. I can't trust him anymore. I think he's he's hit that wall, and we're going to continue to see a bit of a decline from him, especially in that ballpark. I, I It's hard for me to like guys in that ballpark. It's very, very difficult. Um, but, you know, I'd rather take a Porcello or gamble on, like, even a Jacob Faria uh, a few picks later or, or something along those lines and see where that takes me. But... Um, yeah, I got, I'm with you there, Porcello, over handles indeed. Um, that being said, that pretty much wraps things up. What are your plans coming up for um, Baseball HQ, drafting, anything? What do you got coming up for
2: soon? Yeah, so uh, we have I'm, – I'm writing a, what we call it, a speculator column uh, this year. So I've been writing for HQ since, since back in 2012, um, taking over Ray Murphy's column as speculator, basically – looking at just different things outside the box uh uh, you know we get so bogged down in projections is this guy going to hit 25 or 27 home runs and and really i take the stance that we have no idea what that guy's going to hit 25 or 27. let's look at the skills and see hey could he are there things where you know is there a a flight path change or or a a exit velo change where this guy could suddenly push 40. um so i want to try and go outside the box with that um couple of good things planned i'm going to you know do some projects comparing adp this year versus last year looking at guys who just you know from a rebound standpoint like a matt carpenter for example who you know was priced so high entering 2017 going into 2018 is adp's down over 100 from from a year ago so um, just looking at different ways to kind of slice and dice the player pool and 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 hopefully some bubble up some kind of breakout guys um I'm also the, the social media director for HQ, so we've got a lot of stuff going right now that keeps me busy promoting that stuff on on Twitter and Facebook. So give us a follow at Baseball HQ there, and uh, yeah, let the madness begin, man. There's <laughs> there's baseball talk all over the Twitter feeds, which is uh, which is great to see this time of year. So it is very good to see pitchers and catchers report in less than a month.
1: It, it's happening. It's finally happening, which is a beautiful thing to see. Absolutely. So, Ryan, thanks for joining me, man. Everybody check him out on Twitter, at RyanBHQ. Like you said, go to BaseballHQ.com and check him out on Twitter. All that good stuff. But, um, yeah, Ryan, thanks, thanks a lot, man. Good stuff.
2: Appreciate it, Bubba. Have a good one.
1: You too. Everybody, that was Bench with Bubba, episode 63 with Ryan Bloomfield from Baseball HQ. We'll catch you guys next time.